Go with me to First Chronicles chapter number 4. First Chronicles chapter number 4. Those of you that have a paper Bible are thankful that it's up on the screen because you have no chance of finding First Chronicles chapter number 4. Those of you that have a phone Bible or a iPad Bible, you're in luck. First Corinthians, uh, First Chronicles chapter number 4. The scripture says, Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother called him Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel. Would you help me this morning and just shout God? He said, Oh, that. Would you shout one more thing? Shout, Oh, that. You would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory that and enlarge my territory that and enlarge my territory that. Would you shout and that? Your hand would be with me and that you and that you. Would you shout that you would keep me from evil that I might not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. God, oh, that and that that you. God, oh, that, and that, that you. Now, check it out. God, G, oh, that, oh, and that, A, that you, T, G, O, A, T. Some of y'all didn't even get it yet because y'all have no idea what that even means. So some of y'all are not football fans. In honor of uh, Super Bowl number 52 and Tom Brady, who they call the greatest of all time, I want to minister you, to you this morning on a message that I'm calling the GOAT. Let's pray in Jesus' name. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you speak to our hearts? Would you make this message real to us? We give you honor. And everybody said you may be seated. Well, from Tom Brady's point of view, it stands for greatest of all time. But from our point of view on how to have the blessed year of your life, it's a little acrostic that is buried within one of the most famous prayers uh, in our day and age in the Bible. It wasn't famous up until about 20 years ago, although to be honest with you, I did find a sermon from the 1800s on the prayer of Jabez preached by none other than Charles Spurgeon. And so it has been around for a long period of time, but it became popular in our day and age about 20 years ago. Until 20 years ago, nobody really knew who Jabez was. Matter of fact, if you asked me, he said, Pastor, great man of Bible knowledge, do you know who Jabez is? I would have said no 20 years ago. But God has made him famous, not because of what he did, but because of what he prayed. And in First Chronicles chapter number 4, one of the least read books in the Bible, one of the least read chapters in the Bible, about 500 names into endless genealogies of names that you and I probably cannot pronounce, emerges for us not just a name, but a prayer. And a prayer that is very relevant to what you and I have been talking about in our series, The Blessed Year of Your Life, because it is a prayer where Jabez asked God for blessing. Oh, that you would bless me 
indeed. And I love the word indeed here because it really puts an emphasis on the kind of blessing that Jabez was asking God for. He was saying, God, I don't want a little blessing. I want an indeed blessing. I want an exclamation point on the blessing. I want a blessing that stops me from blending in and causes me to stand out. God, I don't want you to hold back. God, I want you to let it rip. God, I'll take all you got for me. God, pour it out like a flood till it's overflowing, till I can't contain it, till I'm blessed coming in and blessed coming out, till these blessings come on me and overtake me. He's praying, God, draw me close to you indeed. Grow my faith indeed. Deepen my walk with you indeed. Make me spiritually strong indeed. Heal me indeed. Prosper me indeed. Open doors of opportunity for me indeed. Raise me up indeed. Give me peace indeed. Give me joy indeed. Bless my marriage indeed. Bless my family indeed. Bless my church indeed. He is praying for a big blessing. Isn't it good to know that you can ask God for an indeed blessing? See, sometimes we forget who we're praying to. Sometimes we forget that we are praying to the God of the universe. Nothing is too difficult for him. And our prayers sometimes are just flat out too small. And God encourages us to ask him for big things, ask him boldly for things. But I really don't want to talk to you about asking God for big things this morning. I don't really want to talk to you about indeed blessings this morning. I want to talk to you about a pattern of understanding that I see in the kinds of prayers that people pray that God blesses, that God answers. There's a pattern of understanding in the kind of people that God blesses in the Bible. And I see it in David when he says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. I see it in Mary when she said, Behold the handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I see it in Solomon when he, God said, I'll give you anything you want. He said, I just want wisdom to do your will, God. I see it in John the Baptist where he says, I must decrease so you can increase. I see it in the apostle Paul where he says, I, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. I see it in the woman with the alabaster box as she broke her very expensive bottle of perfume all over him. I hear it in Isaiah's voice when he says, here I am, Lord, send me. I hear it echoed in the prophet Jeremiah when he says that, that he is the potter and we are the clay. There seems to be this understanding of blessing in the kind of people that God blesses. They seem to get it that it's not bless me so I can be blessed. It's blessed me so that I can be a blessing. It's, it's bless me not for my sake, but bless me, God, for your sake. I want to be blessed by you so I can serve you, God. I want to be blessed by you so I can be a conduit to you. It's a deeper understanding of blessing that is sometimes missed in our day and age where you and I simply think blessing is all of the things that we can acquire from Almighty God. And God loves blessing us with stuff, but I want to talk to you about this pattern of understanding that seems to be buried in, in every prayer that God answers in the Bible. And, and the first part of the pattern of prayer begins, of course, with G, God. And Jabez called on the God of Israel. We all know that the name Jabez means pain. 
In Bible times, uh, parents would name their children after the circumstances that were happening at the time of the birth of the child. Male children were named on the eighth day in the Bible at the circumcision ceremony. And uh, sure enough, uh, they gave this child the name Jabez, which means pain. We don't know what the pain was. Some have speculated maybe it was that the baby was born breech and it caused the mother a lot of pain. Maybe the father ran off and it caused the mother a lot of pain. Maybe he was an illegitimate child. Maybe they had no home. Maybe they couldn't afford children. Maybe the man was an abuser and so having a child was a painful connection to this person for the rest of their lives. We don't know what the circumstances were that surrounded this particular uh, child's birth, but we know that they were so painful that she named him, that they named him Jabez. But more importantly than naming a child after the circumstances surrounding their birth, a name was a declaration over the child of the child's future. All throughout the Bible, we see when people are named a certain thing, that becomes the the biography, if you will, of their life. Jacob means grabber, and he was the supplanter. He was the stealer. He was the one that, that stole his brother's birthright. Abraham means father of many nations. That's what he became. Joseph means dreamer, and it was his dream that brought him to prominence. Solomon means peace. He was the first king in all of Israel to reign without war. Names defined your future. And so with a name like Jabez, his future was not very bright. How bad the pain must have been to name him Jabez, knowing that anytime people called his name, they were declaring his future. The handwriting was on the wall for Jabez. The die had been cast, and everyone expected Jabez to cause pain when he grew up. Jabez was put in a man-made identity box of being a causer of pain. Everybody expected it of him, and you know what I believe? He expected it of himself. Whenever you are in an environment that always expects a certain thing of you, that always conditions you to believe a certain way, after a little while, it forms your own personal expectation. I believe Jabez thought that that was what his life was going to be. And Jabez, because of the pain that was in his life and the pain that was expected of him, probably dealt with a lot of personal pain. And in that personal pain, he could have turned to all sorts of things. He could have turned to addictions like alcohol or drugs. He could have turned to being angry. He could have turned to being bitter. He could have turned to a lifetime of crime. He could have turned to abusing other people. He could have turned to all sorts of things. But Jabez somehow, someway understood the, the, the secret to leading a blessed life. He understood that if you're going to turn to something in your pain, that the best place that you can turn to in your pain is turn to God. Notice Jabez called on the God of Israel. I love the specificity of the scripture, don't you? He turned to the God of Israel. Israel was the name that God gave to Jacob when Jacob decided to return back and reconcile with his family. You all know the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau were twins. Esau came out first. Jacob came out second. He was grabbing the heel of his brother. And their entire life they fought over the blessing of the birthright. Esau was the firstborn. The Bible says that his father loved him more than 
Jacob and that Jacob's mother loved Jacob more than Esau. And so all his life, Jacob is living underneath the shadow of this sibling rivalry because his father favors Esau as the firstborn. As the firstborn, he would receive a double portion of inheritance. As the firstborn, he would have to carry on the family name. As the firstborn, he was the one who the family would look up to. And this bothered Jacob to the point where one day he decided to steal his brother's birthright blessing. He stole the blessing. He got a blessing that didn't belong to him, that wasn't his to have. And in essence, he blessed himself. Have you ever blessed yourself before? Don't look at me in that tone of voice. We have all blessed ourselves before. The car you couldn't afford that you blessed yourself with. The house that was a little bit too much of a stretch that you blessed yourself with. The relationship that God said, this ain't for you, that you blessed yourself with. How many of you know that when you bless yourself, there's problems with blessing yourself? You spend the rest of your life trying to make all those blessings work for you. And like Jacob, maybe even on the run. So he spent his whole life after he blessed himself with something that didn't belong to him on the run. And he ran from his brother Esau who hunted him. And he was apart from him for a long period of time. And then one day he decided that he was no longer going to run. He decided that the blessing that he had stole was not worth it. And he was going to go back home and reconcile with his brother. And you remember on the way back home, he met God at the place called Bethel, the house of God. And there he wrestled with God all night. And what did he say to God? He said, I'll not let you go until... You bless me. There's a difference between blessing ourselves and letting God bless us. When we bless ourselves, there's a whole lot of problems that go along with blessing ourselves. But when the Lord blesses you, the Bible says, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and adds no sorrow to it. Don't chase after the blessings that you want for you. Let God, let the blessings that he has for you chase after you. You can get blessed that way without even trying. That you would bless me, God. And you remember what happened, right? There he wrestled with God, and God said to him, You shall no more be called Jacob, but now you shall be called Israel. By the way, that's the, a type of being born again. That's a type of a, of a change in nature, a change in character, a change from a child of the enemy to a child of God. See, when you, we get born again, what happens to us? We get new names. Our name becomes Christian. Christ like one. Our identity changes. We're no longer who we used to be, but now we are who Christ has made us to be. And so in that moment, he says, you will no longer be called a supplanter. You will no longer be called a thief, but now you will be a prince with almighty God. Now in Bible times, they passed on the stories from one generation to the next generation. And Chronicles and the story of Jabez comes after the story of Jacob, which is in Genesis. And so I'm pretty positive that Jabez was familiar with the story of Jacob and he understood how God took the pain that Jacob caused his family and the pain that he caused in the division amongst it with his brother and between his mother and his father and turned his life around from a heel catcher, from a thief, from a supplanter into a prince with God. And so Jabez said, if God will do it for Jacob, God will do it for me. And so he called on the God of Israel. Why? He understood that blessing begins with Almighty God. No matter what your pain is, 
No matter what your situation is, no matter how long it's been that way, no matter how, how much you've been conditioned to believe for that thing, I want you to know that a life of blessing begins by going to Almighty God from whom all blessing. You cannot live a blessed life apart from Almighty God. You might be able to bless yourself, but we talked about that. The blessing of the life that God has designed for you is better. And people who live a blessed life, Understand that blessing begins with Almighty God. We need to come to Him, not as we hope to be, not as we wish we were, but just as we are. Jacob went to God as a heel catcher. Jabez went to God as a causer of pain. And God turned their pain. God turned their situation just as we are. I love the old song, Just As I Am, Without One Plea, and that thy blood was shed for me. And now thou bid me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, and waiting not, to rid my soul of one dark blot, to those to, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as you are. What's your circumstance? What's your situation? What's your pain? What's your setback? What's your lifelong struggle? If you're going to have the blessed year of your life, you need to come to God. Oh, that you, God. He called on the God of Israel. First part of the prayer, God. Second part of the prayer, oh, that. Oh, that you would bless me indeed. People who experience the blessed year of their life understand that the blessed life is the life that God has designed for them. So often we, we design our own lives, don't we? Have you ever designed your life? We all do it, right? We, we come up with, you know, I want to be doing this at this particular time, and I want to be doing that at this particular time, and we map out our whole life. But, but here's the thing. The blessed life is the life that God has designed for you. And we lose the power of this prayer because we don't understand what the word blessing means. To us, blessing is simply the acquisition of the good things that God wants to give us. And make no mistake about it, God wants to give us good things. God loves giving us good things. But it is such a narrow definition of the word blessing. Blessing is more than a house. It's more than a car. It's more than a big job. It's more than a heavy bank account. It's, it's more than that. Blessing goes so much deeper. And when Jabez comes to God and he asks him, oh, that you you would bless me indeed. He's referring to something that was specific to their understanding of the word blessing in Bible times. In Bible times, a blessing was a declaration over the life of somebody by someone in authority that was considered irrevocable. And so that's why Jacob and Esau fought for the blessing of their father, Isaac. They wanted Isaac to put his hand on them and declare a blessing over them, his intentions for their life over them, because they believed that any time somebody in authority declared over somebody un underneath them their intentions, that that blessing was irrevocable, that it had to happen, which is why when Jacob stole the blessing from Esau, even though his father Isaac was tricked into putting it on Jacob, it was irrevocable. I want you to know that if God speaks over your life, that it is irrevocable, that no devil in hell can steal what God says over your life. When God speaks a word, it has to come to pass. It has to come to pass. And so when he said, God, that you would bless me indeed, he is really 
asking for something special. His whole life he has lived underneath this pronouncement, this declaration of doom placed on him by his family, placed on him by the highest ranking authorities in his life, which were his mother and father. And in keeping with the culture, he believed that that was the sentence he had to live under. The only way that he could ever get that sentence revoked is if he went to an authority higher than his parents in his life. And he got that authority to override the blessing of doom that was placed on him, the declaration of doom that was placed on him by somebody who is higher. And so he goes to the authority of all authorities. He goes to the king of all kings. He goes to the Lord of all lords. And he says, God, I need you to bless me. God, I need you to declare over me, not the future that has been ascribed to me by man, but the future that has been designed for me in heaven. God, if you will speak over my life, your word can override anything that has been declared over me, anything that has been set into motion. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but I'm talking to somebody who feels like they have doom hanging over them, who feels like they have rejection hanging over them, who feels like they got shame hanging over them. I want you to know God can override it with one word. God can set your future on a totally different course. God can override it. He goes to God. He said, God, I need you. I need you to, to declare over my life the genius of Jabez. The genius of Jabez. Why do I say the genius of Jabez? He goes to the father of all fathers and asks him to declare his wishes for his life, over his life. How many of you want good things for yourself? Can I, can I see your hand? You want good things for yourself, right? Everybody wants good things for themselves. As much as we want good things for ourselves, do you know there's somebody who wants better things for us? It's our Heavenly Father. How many of you want good things for your kids, right? How many of you would say you want better things for your kids than your kids want for them? Matter of fact, if you talk to a kid about what they want for their life, they'll tell you all sorts of great things. Then you talk to the parent, you ask them what they want for the kid's life. It's even better than what the kid wants for their life, right? What good parent doesn't want great things for their kid, better things for their kids, wants their kids to live better, wants their kids to have more, wants their kids to be more blessed. Every good parent wants that for their kids. You know what the Bible says? If we, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our kids, how much more does our Father in Heaven want to give good things? The genius of Jabez, he doesn't just go to anybody and say, declare your will, your intentions for my life over me. He goes to the father of all fathers. He said, God, I know I want good for me, but I know you want better for me. And so, God, I'm looking not to live the life that I have designed for me, but God, I want the life that you have designed for me. Anything less than the life you have for me is a life worth not worth living, but God, your life, your plan. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a bright future. God has good things. Let God steer your destiny. Let God declare over your life. Because if God says it, it doesn't matter what anybody else has said. It doesn't matter what anybody else has put into motion. When God declares it, new destiny is coming your way. Original destiny is coming your way. The plan and purpose of God is coming your way. Let God declare it over your life. When God declares it, 
It's settled. Somebody said, well, how do I get God to do it? Listen, not everybody's going to hear an audible voice from God. Matter of fact, very infrequently in your life will you hear an audible voice from God. How do I get God to declare his intentions over my life? It's called the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. Right? Why? Do you know what the Bible is? It's God's word to us. It's as if God is speaking himself through the pages of that book. And if you want to get God to declare his intentions over your life, you need to get in the book and you need to begin to declare what the book says about you over you. And as it comes out of your mouth, it's as if God himself is speaking it because he said, I've exalted my word even above my name. You need to let the word of God wash your soul. You need to let the word of God wash your mind. You need to let the Word of God wash your heart. You need to work, let the Word of God lead your life. Let God bless you by getting into the Word of God and understanding what that Word is. It is not the Word of man. It is not the Word of your friend. It is not the Word of your spouse. It is the Word of Almighty God who has put it first and foremost, even above His name. Let God declare over you. I just feel like somebody needs to just marinate on that. Some of you are living underneath a sentence of doom. I don't know who put it there. I don't know where it came from. But listen to the word of the Lord. God can override it. Oh, that you, you would bless me. And bless me indeed. God, I don't want anybody else's blessing. God, nobody else's words matter. Only your word matters. God, that you would bless me. Oh, that you would bless me indeed. A, and that, and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be on me. God, oh, that, and that, and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be on me. There's two parts to this prayer. One of them is inferior to the other because people who live or experience the blessed year of their life understand, here's the principle, that his provision is good, but his presence is better. They understand that his provision is good, but his presence is better. First part is a prayer of provision. God enlarged my territory. And by the way, did you notice the progression? First, I begin with you, God. First, it's all about you. First, I realize the starting point in my life is about you. Jacob, Jabez called on the God of Israel. Oh, that you would bless me indeed, that you would declare your plans, your will, your purposes for my life. I submit to you and your plans, your will, your purposes for my life. But now that I've done that, now that we got the order of things straight, God, and enlarge my territory, now give me provision. Now give me a platform so that I can perform your will. Give me something to work with now, not so I can be blessed for me, God, but so I can, in you blessing me, bless other people. Give me that platform, not for me, but for you, God. See the progression? Provision is good when it's in the right context. But provision is kind of like an inferior thing to pray for. Do you know why? Because God actually says that he knows what we need of what we have need of before we even ask. And he says this to us. He says, he said, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will just be given to you. And so why would I even ask for those things on a regular basis if I know 
if I just seek him, those things are just going to be added on to me. Don't, don't, don't waste your time on low-level praying. See, you know what's better than provision? It's presence. Because I learned that if you have provision without presence, you got problems. If you get provision without presence, you got problems. If you only get what's in his hand, but you never have his hand on your life, you're bound to have a whole lot of problems. If all you ever get is what he can give you, you got a whole lot of problems because if all you get is the stuff from God, but never have the relationship with God, never have the presence of God, sooner or later you start believing that the reason why you got everything has nothing to do with God, but it has everything to do with you. Sooner or later you think that you blessed yourself. And we talked about what happens when you blessed yourself. Sooner or later, when all you got is provision, you begin to drift from God and you begin to walk away from God. And then the stuff you don't want in your life begins to creep into your life. And the sin that does so easily beset us all of a sudden comes on. And if you don't believe me, that provision without presence equals problems, ask the prodigal. Ask the one who got everything in his father's hand but walked out from the presence of his father's hand. Ask him how it worked out when he no longer had any stuff. Ask him how it worked out when he no longer had any food, when he no longer had any money, when he was eating out of the pig's pen, when nobody would help him. Why? When you got provision without presence, you got problems. One of the things that I learned in my life is that I need his hand. I need his hand to keep me. I need his hand to lead me. I need his hand to guide me. I need his hand to anoint me. I need his hand to uphold me. I need his hand to lift me. I need his hand to protect me. I need his hand to heal me. I need his hand to help me. I don't just need a house. I don't just need a car. I don't just need a big bank account. I don't just need stuff. I need the presence. I need the hand of Almighty God on my life. Without his hand, all the stuff is is problematic. Lodge my territory, that your hand would be on me. God, oh, that, and that, that you, that you, listen to the prayer, that you would keep me from evil, that I might not cause pain. There's two ways to read this. One is that he's praying for God to protect him from the enemies on the outside. And we all know that when you lead a blessed life, definition of blessed life should now be not just a life where you have stuff, but a life that has been designed for you by God. When you lead a blessed life, you lead a targeted life. That's why you should never want to switch places with nobody. Because God has designed your blessed life for you, their blessed life for them. As a matter of fact, I found out that sometimes if you switch places with somebody, you won't be able to handle the stuff that's coming against them. So you just stay where you are and lead your life. But I found out that we don't have to worry too much about the enemies on the outside. God does a really good job of taking care of the enemies on the outside. 
Matter of fact, I am convinced, I am persuaded very strongly that if we will live the life that God has designed for us, that God will take care of the enemies on the outside. Matter of fact, I'm so convinced of it that I believe that anything that the enemy tries to send at us as children of God to take us down, if we will live the life that God has designed for us, God will use it to turn our situation around. I'm convinced that God will use the devil himself to bless a child of God that is living the life that God has designed for them to live. I'm convinced that God was telling the truth when he said, I will fight for you. I'm convinced that I don't have to worry about the enemies on the outside because God does a good job at fighting for us. So I don't, I don't, I don't really worry about outside enemies. I'm convinced that, that outside enemies can't do anything to us. I'm convinced that neither death nor life no things present, nor things to come, nor angels or demons or powers, tribulation and persecution. I'm convinced that none of those things can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not worried about the stuff on the outside. And I don't think Jabez was either. When he said, God, that you would keep me from evil, I think Jabez was saying, Protect me from the enemy within. See, there's one enemy that can take every single person down. And some of you are too spiritual to know this is right. Some of you are too spiritual to understand that you really don't need protection from the stuff on the outside. God's got you covered. What you need is you need protection from the poles that are on the inside. And in a moment, can I just be real with you for a second? See, I know me. I know my poles. I know my tugs. I know my desires. I know my draws. I know my impulses. I know that there are certain things in my flesh that can lead me the wrong way. And so when I get me for God. I thank him for taking care of all the enemies on the outside. But then I pray, God, keep me from me. God, keep me from my base intentions and keep me from my, my pulls of, a, of the flesh. And God, keep me from going. You know, I know what the apostle Paul meant when he said, the trouble is with me. For I'm all too human, slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. If I want to do what is right, but I, I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one that's doing wrong. It's sin that's living in me. And I've discovered this principle of life. And when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. It's this power that makes me a slave to sin and is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that the text doesn't end right there. I'm glad that the text doesn't end with no hope. 
I'm glad that the text doesn't end with me having to resign to the fact that I have to do wrong. I'm glad that there's some help beyond my flesh. Listen to me, Atlanta. Listen to me, New York. Listen to me, Waterbury. Listen to me online. There's an answer. And the next part of the text says, thank God the answer is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank God the answer is Jesus. The answer is more of him and less of me. The answer is him consuming not just a part of my life, but every part of my life. The answer is me not just surrendering a piece, but surrendering the whole thing. Here I am, Lord. Use me, not part of me, but all of me, God. Here's my mind and here's my heart and here's my flesh and here's my marriage and here's my money and here's my kids and here's my time and here's my talent all of it lord it's all yours why because i don't want me to destroy me because i sure as heck know that the enemy can't destroy me I sure as heck know that the one who's been put onto my feet can't destroy me. I sure as heck know that the one that I'm given power to tread upon. I sure as heck know that the greater one lives on the inside of me. I sure as heck know that no power in hell is strong enough to defeat a child of God. So it's not the outside that I need protection from. It's me. It's me. It's me. I love, I love the way the text resolves so much in two, two lines. By the way, that's why you don't need to read like 10 chapters of the Bible a day. So let me just free somebody right now. Somebody, oh, I got to get through the whole Bible in one year. Who told you? You miss a day. You're like, oh, I'm just God. God's not pleased with me now. I missed a day. Sometimes all you need is two verses. Sometimes I just got to get that. Sometimes you need two verses for a whole week. Now, don't be lazy. You know, don't uh, Pastor said, I just need two verses. Got them on Monday. I'll pick up the Bible until Sunday. I love the way the text resolved. And God granted him what he requested. I thought, why is that there? Maybe it's there to remind us that unless we pray, nothing will ever change. What happens if he never requested it? I think that's part of it, but I think it goes deeper because the Bible says you have not because you ask not. But then it says this, and it goes even deeper. Because most people's problem is that is not that they don't ask, right? How many askers we have out there? How many chronic askers do we have out there, right? Where you just ask and ask and ask and ask and ask. I don't think our problem is not asking. The next part of it says you ask because you ask amiss because you have the wrong motives. It's not a God owe that and that that you. It's not God owe that and that that you. It's not God, I want to be blessed for your sake. It's God, I want to be blessed for my sake. Maybe we could just flip it just a little bit and see God grant us what we request. Would you stand to your feet with me?